You're listening to the Trace Church Rock Rimmon podcast. All right, good morning, Trace. How are we doing this morning? Everybody, good to see you this morning. I want to say welcome to all of you in this room. Also, I want to say welcome to all of you that are still watching online. Thanks for joining us. And can we give a special shout out and a special, just a round of applause for all the dads in the room and all the dads watching online today? Thank you so much. All the papas out there, uh, incredibly grateful for you. Uh, one of the greatest privileges of my life is getting to be the dad of four amazing little kids. And uh, one of my favorite memories of our youngest, who's Madison, she's four now, but she was probably somewhere between two and a half and three. And uh, one of the things that would happen, so she, she had her own little bed in her room, and we would put one of those gates in the doorway. That way she couldn't just venture out and take a roam through the neighborhood at night, because you probably would have. And so what she would do, she would come to the edge of the gate, and she would either choose mom or dad, and she would just stick with one, and she'd, she'd just stand at the gate in the middle of the night, mom, mom, or dad, dad. But then one night, uh, <laughs> I think she realized, she was smart, she's a smart little kid, she realized it's like, hey, I've got three other siblings that live in this house too, so if I really need help, I should probably change up what I'm saying. So one night, I remember hearing clearly, she came, comes to the gate, and she said, somebody, 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 and it was the cutest little thing. But here's why I tell you that particular story. Dads, your kids don't just need somebody. They need you. They need you to be intentional. They need you to be interruptible. They need you to offer them a type of strength and a type of security that no one else can offer them. And one of the things that I talk to, especially when I'm talking to other pastors, but I think it goes for each and every one of us who are fathers, and it's this, your greatest contribution to the kingdom of God will probably not be something you do, but someone you raise. And being a pastor of a church, I take that sentiment very seriously because there's a lot of people that could do what I do right now but I'm, only, I'm the only dad to four amazing kids, and I wanna make sure that I always make sure that I don't put what I think is urgent sometimes in front of what is actually important. And my hope is that each and every one of you fathers would do the same. So I wanna pray for the dads in the room really quick, and then we'll jump into our time today. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for all the fathers represented in this room and all the fathers represented online. God, I, I, I know we've got challenges in front of us, and we're gonna make mistakes uh, but God, we need your guidance, we need your help, we need reminders, not only from you, but from friends and family members that we have a very, uh, a very important voice, and we have the ability to uh, affect our kids' lives in a way that no one else can, and it does come on the other end of intentionality and availability. And so God, would you remind us uh, that we have, again, an opportunity to leverage a type of influence that no one else can leverage for the sake of our kids. And so God, we need your help. We love you. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, well, today we're kicking off a new series called The Chosen. And if you've been around for a few weeks, you know we've been recommending for you to check out this series that they've been playing. Uh, you can actually get it free on YouTube if you wanted to watch it on YouTube, or you can buy the DVD series. I believe there's eight uh, specific episodes in this, and they're looking at doing another uh, round of episodes. But uh, incredible, incredible um, mini-series on the life of Jesus and the characters who existed around Jesus. And so what we've decided to do is for the next five weeks, we've decided to kind of piggyback on this particular series and do what I believe uh, this series does incredibly well, which is kind of develop the characters, right? I mean, there's so much that we don't know about the lives of people who lived you know, with Jesus, like 
Peter and John and James and Mary Magdalene and all these kind of people. It's like they had stories. There, there was real stories behind the pages of Scripture. And so what we're going to do is try to develop the characters uh, who existed around Jesus. And today we're specifically going to look at the life of Peter. And so if you have your Bibles with you today, you can go ahead and turn them open or turn them on. We're going to be in Luke chapter 5. But before we get there, let me set it up this way. I think a common mistake that we often make when it comes to studying the text and specifically studying particular people in the text is remembering that they were real people. They were real people. In other words, they messed up. They had regrets. They sinned against God, and they probably laughed when someone farted around the campfire. I'm just being honest this morning, right, for all the kids in the room with me this morning. And maybe we forget this because we, we have this tendency to over-spiritualize these people, and so we give them names like St. Peter or Apostle Peter. Now, now listen to me, because I'm not saying that we should disqualify those things. I'm not saying that we shouldn't honor these people that did incredible things for the kingdom of God, specifically people that lived around the life of Jesus and during the time of Jesus, but I think it would probably be valuable, okay? My, my guess. I think it would be valuable for us to bring some humanity to the people who are actually represented in the pages of Scripture. Because, we have, again, we have a tendency to over-spiritualize, and so maybe we should humanize, if that's even a word, that we should humanize uh, these guys that we have a tendency to over-spiritualize. Because here's a guess, here's a guess. If we were to see Peter today, okay, this is a guess, and we were to approach him with some kind of sentiment like, uh, hey, St. Peter, hey, Apostle Peter, my guess is that Peter would say, hey, there's no need for titles, there's no need for titles. I'm just like you. I just had an extraordinary opportunity to do some things for the kingdom of God, being one who got to be with Jesus. And so maybe on his more prideful days, he would say, hey, you can refer to me as the rock. I mean, that's what I would do if I were him. But here's what I wanna do. I wanna, I wanna, take, you to his first, I wanna take you to his first encounter with Jesus because I believe in his first encounter with Jesus, we're gonna see some humanity surface in the life of Peter. And so, if you, again, if you have your Bibles with, with you, I'm gonna start Luke chapter five, beginning in verse one. Here's what it says. One day as Jesus was preaching on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, great crowds pressed in on him to listen to the word of God. He noticed, this is Jesus, Jesus noticed two empty boats at the water's edge for the fishermen had left them and they were washing their nets. Stepping into one of the boats, Jesus asked Simon, who's also known as Peter, it was its owner, to push it out into the water. So he sat in the boat and taught the crowds from there. When he had finished speaking, he said to Peter, he said to Simon, now go out where it is deeper and let down your nets to catch some fish. Now let me give you some context really quick here because this is his first encounter. Peter doesn't know who Jesus is, but because he's watching him teach and He's seen the crowds develop around teacher. He probably around Jesus. He probably quickly associates with Jesus that he's a rabbi, and I think we probably see this in the very next sentiment. And I think this the wording here is incredibly important. So hang on to it. He says, "Master," this is Peter, right? He he refers to Jesus as master again. He doesn't know it, but he's been watching Jesus teach these people on the shore while he's out kind of fishing off the bank a little bit, and so he's showing Jesus respect because at this point he's like, "Okay, this guy's a rabbi. This guy's a rabbi, so I need to show him respect." Because again. Peter is a good Jewish boy. And so he says, Master, Simon uh, Peter replied, we worked hard all last night and didn't catch a thing. But if you say so, I'll let the nets down again. I think he's doing this out of respect. And this time their nets were so full of fish that they began to tear. 
A shout for help brought their partners in from the other boat, and soon both boats were filled with fish and on the verge of sinking. When Simon Peter realized what had happened, he fell to his knees. Now, again, let's slow down. When he realized, like in this moment where it's like, hey, this guy's just a teacher. He's a rabbi. He's teaching these people. He's asking me to do something, so I'll be out of respect. I'm going to do that for him. But now he's realized that he's just experienced a miracle. And so he fell to his knees before Jesus, and now he's not calling him master anymore, but Lord. Oh, Lord. Oh, Lord. Please leave me. I'm such a sinful man. You see, in this moment, Peter not only realizes who Jesus is, that he's the Messiah, this man they've been praying about, they've been waiting for for hundreds of of years. He realizes like who's in his presence. But in that moment, I'm going to suggest that Peter also realized that because he's in the presence of the Messiah, the Lord, that this guy also has the ability and the potential to expose everything wrong that Peter has ever done. That in this moment where Peter is on his knees and he's like, Lord, depart from me, I'm a sinful man because he knows that in front of him is this man who can expose things that Peter's been working really hard to cover up his whole life. He can just uncover them. And we don't know everything that Peter did in his life, but maybe one day Peter went to the marketplace and he took some of the fish that his crew caught and he pocketed a little bit of extra money for himself. I mean, we don't know what Peter did. We don't know the life of Peter, but we know that there's enough shame that's following Peter because of some of the things he's done in his life that he doesn't want to be even in the presence of Jesus. And I think it's important that we would try to empathize here, that we would try to go there. Again, now we have the text, now we have the New Testament, and we get to read about the love of God and the love of Jesus. Peter didn't have any of that that yet, and so imagine being in Peter's shoes, and all of a sudden, there's somebody in front of you that can go back and say, hey, you remember when you did this? Hey, you remember that thing that you've been working really hard to keep a secret? Hey, you remember that thing really hard that you've been working on to, to stay covered up? Yeah, all that, I, like, I have the potential. I know that I have the potential to uncover all of that and to expose all of that. And so inside Peter, it's easier for him to say, maybe sometimes it's easier for you to say, God, just leave, because <clears throat> I don't want to deal with that right now. God, it's easier for you just to walk away. It's, easy for, it's easier for me just to push you away because I don't want to deal with that junk again. I don't want to be full of the shame that has oftentimes followed me because of the sin in my rearview mirror. And so sometimes it's easier, maybe even for those of you that are still on your journey with Jesus and you wanna take a step closer to God, but there's something in you that knows where it's like, I can't get rid of all this stuff I've done in the past and can I really take that with me? Is it possible for me to take all the regrets and all the sin and all the junk in my past and actually step into a relationship with God? And sometimes it's just easier. Depart from me. I don't, I don't want even want to deal with it. It's harder, to, it's harder to deal with. And maybe this is kind of where Peter's at. Jesus, leave me because I'm such a sinful man. And I want, you to, I want you to see what Jesus says to him next. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. From now on, you'll be fishing for people. And, so, and as soon as they landed, they left everything and they followed Jesus. Now, it's an interesting thing that Jesus says here, right? Because if I'm looking at the posture of Peter, I don't see fear. At least I don't think I do. It doesn't seem like Peter's afraid. So why would Jesus say, don't be afraid? 
Because Jesus, being all-knowing, probably looks down and sees Peter with his face on the ground saying, Lord, depart from me, I'm a sinful man. Peter, you don't have to be afraid. All that stuff that you're scared of, all that stuff that's in your rearview mirror, all that stuff that I could expose if I really wanted to. I'm not here to heap shame on you, Peter. I'm here to forgive your sin. I'm not here to make you sulk in, your, in, in the depth of your regrets of your past. I'm here to give you a new life. I'm here to give you a new purpose. So he looks at Peter. Peter, I don't know what you think I'm getting ready to do here, man. But don't be afraid. I think some of us can probably identify with Peter's original response, can't we? For some people, it doesn't matter how much. It doesn't matter how much you hear about the love of God. It doesn't matter how much you hear somebody in my position get up here and preach uh, from the word of God and talk to you about God's love and God's forgiveness and talk to you about 1 John chapter four, that God himself is love, that without God, there is no love. He himself is the embodiment of love. And I can get up here and I can try to do my best to make it clear to you. And inside of you, you want to believe it. But for some people, it's hard for them to make that connection because every time they think and try to associate and identify with their heavenly father, they, they have a tendency to kind of think about him being almost like a tyrant, like an angry father in the sky that just wants to point out everything that they've ever done wrong. And not every time, but a lot of times, I believe that the reason why we have a tendency to do that, not every time, is because of our relationship with our earthly father. It's not lost on me uh, that this Father's Day doesn't just bring up a lot of great memories. It's not lost on me that some of you, maybe several of you, have walked into life and walked through enough life and somewhere along the way something happened. And it happened around the relationship with your father, your earthly father, and it left a wound. And if that wound goes left untreated, can you just hear me out here? If that wound goes left untreated, I can almost promise you, I've been doing this long enough, it will skew how you view your heavenly father. And, you know, this is not a counseling session, but can I encourage you that if that wound exists inside of you, um, identify it. And you've heard me say this several times in different contexts, it's okay to not be okay. It's okay that you're carrying that with you, but don't stay there. If you need to go to counseling, then go to counseling. Uh, if you need to read a book, then read a book. And I wanna suggest one to you. It's called Fathered by God by John Eldridge. And I just wanna read to you a quick ex excerpt from this book. He says this, Father, what did I miss here in this stage? Did I know I was the beloved son or daughter? Do I believe it even now? Would you come to me in this place over these years and speak to me? Do I believe you want good things for me? Is my heart secure in, in your love? How was my young heart wounded in my life as a boy or girl? And Jesus, you who came to heal the broken heart, would you come to me here? Would you heal this stage in my heart? Restore me as a beloved son or daughter? Would you father me? Church, to really know, to really, to really know the love of your heavenly father may be one of the most freeing things that you ever experience. 
And to quote from something Jesus once said, he says, then you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. Maybe the greatest truth that you would ever know is that you have a heavenly father who loves you so much. Not only does he love you, listen to me, because this is gonna be hard for some of you to hear, because when you hear this, you're like, no, he couldn't, he couldn't this for me. And it's crazy that we would think that this would be any, any less or any greater than God loving you. But listen to what I'm gonna say next. He actually likes you. He actually likes you. Yes, even all that crap that you're bringing with you, and me too, like he obviously knows everything that you've ever done. He knows your greatest sin and your deepest regret. And with all of that that you carry with you, he loves you. And maybe you've been around church long enough to be like, yes, Jesus came to me because of the Father's love. God sent his one and only son, gave you the greatest gift that he had possibly to give you in his possession. And Jesus came and he died on a cross. And it's almost like it's easier to accept that than it is for him, for, for you to accept that he actually likes you, that he actually likes you. Yes, he loves you. Yes, he gave his, again, the greatest sacrifice he could have given by sending his one and only son to take your place on a cross because you were the one and I was the one who deserved death, but Jesus took that death for us. Best news you'll ever hear, but somebody needs to hear today. He also likes you. Do you know that he calls you his friend? He likes you. So I don't know what you're carrying with you today. I don't know what it is that maybe keeps you from allowing, it keeps, it's skewing how you view how your heavenly father actually sees you and looks at you and, and loves you and he likes you. But whatever it is, can I ask that you begin to let it go? Can I ask that you would begin to at least like lean in God's direction and say, God, I don't even know how to do this. And I don't even know if I believe what this guy's telling me right now, but if there's any amount of truth in it, if there's even an inkling of truth in it, can you help me to let go what I've been holding onto that's keeping me from giving you my life completely? Because my guess is that there are several people in here right now that are holding on to something and you're not allowing the Father's love to cover your life and to cover your mistakes and to cover your sin and to cover your regret because he wants to. And maybe you need a life lesson from Peter this morning. You know, one of the things I love about Peter is because he screwed up a lot. I know that sounds carnal for me to say that, but you see, Peter exercised incredible faith, but he also had incredible failures. And I think many of us could probably identify with that, that those two actually can coexist. You see, Peter, yeah, he walked on water, but he also sank because of doubt. In Matthew chapter 16, we see, we see Jesus commend Peter. Peter was the first guy to step up and say, Jesus, you are the son of the living God. You are the Messiah. And he made that declaration and, and Jesus recognized that. And he said, blessed are you, blesses Peter for saying that. Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah. For this was not revealed to you by an earthly mind, but by your father in heaven. He commends Jesus, gives, gives Jesus one of the, the biggest blessings that we see during Jesus's three years of ministry. But in the same breath, like just moments later, go back and read this later in Matthew chapter 16, just moments later as Jesus is trying to describe to Peter the fact that he has to go and die, Peter actually rebukes Jesus. And then Jesus says what many of us have probably uh, used at some point in our life, that famous verse like, get behind me, Satan. You probably used it with your kids before. 
Fast forward a little bit, and we are in the Garden of Gethsemane. And Peter notices that this mob is coming to take over Jesus, and so, or take Jesus and arrest Jesus, so he pulls out a sword and he cuts off the ear of the high priest's servant. And in this moment, like if we're just observing what Peter's doing, it's like, man, this guy's willing to do whatever it takes to keep his Messiah, to keep his Lord safe. Now, obviously, Jesus didn't want it to go down that way. He's like, Peter, put, up, put down your sword, right? Those who live by the sword will die by the sword. And he picks up the guy's ear and puts it back on. That's a story around a campfire one day, I can assure you that. And so we see Peter's like, oh, man, this guy's ready to go to battle. But just moments later, Peter denies that he even knew Jesus three times, full of faith, and full of failure. And I bet Peter, if we got to meet him today, would probably know this, be- this next statement better than any of us because at the feet of Jesus, your failures don't get to determine your future. At the feet of Jesus, your failures don't get to determine your future. And so let's go back into the original text that we read. Peter is at the feet of Jesus. And he knows that the man standing in front of him could expose everything that he had ever done wrong. But instead of pointing out all of his faults, he offered forgiveness. And he gave him a future, a future purpose, and a future hope. Now, I've done my best to try to unveil uh, what this scene could have looked like for you. But maybe it'll come even, become even more clear by watching it. So check this out. Put that down for a catch. A little farther out. I don't have a quarrel with you, teacher. We've been doing this all night. Nothing. All right. At your word. Oh, my God. 
I told you. I told you. I told you. brother and the baptizer <laughs> you are the lamb of god yes i am depart from me i am a sinful man you don't know who i am the things i've done don't be afraid simon i'm sorry we, we've waited for you for so long we believe but my faith i'm sorry <laughs> Lift up your head, fisherman. <laughs> what do you want from me? Anything you ask, I will do. Follow me. as well. Yes, you, James and John, come, follow me. I'll take the fish to the market and settle up Simon's death. I'll get some help to fill both of these boats. Are you sure? Yes, go. What will you tell Ima? <laughs> We've just been called by the man we prayed for our entire lives. And you ask me, what will I say when you miss supper? <laughs> go, now. Becoming a Christian is a decision. And I don't want to water this down too much, but becoming a Christian is easy. It's just accepting what Jesus has done on your behalf and asking him to forgive your sins. And if that's sincere, then he'll do that. But following Jesus, it'll cost you something. And I think Peter helps us to see this and understand this later in his life. About 30 years after this moment happened, Peter sits down and he writes one of his two letters that we now have recorded in our New Testaments. And I want to read to you from 1 Peter uh, chapter 1, verse 13. And I'm going to read from the message paraphrase. And I want you to hear uh, what Peter says after 30 years of following Jesus. He says, so roll up your sleeves. Put your mind in gear. Be totally ready to receive the gift that's coming when Jesus arrives. Don't lazily slip back into those old grooves of evil doing just what you feel like doing. You didn't know any better then, but you do now. I can almost see Peter kind of contemplating uh, back through his life and mistakes that he had made. As obedient children, let yourselves be pulled into a way of life shaped by God's life, a life energetic and blazing with holiness. God said, I am holy, so you be holy. You call out to God for help. 
and he helps. He's a good father that way. But don't forget, he's also a responsible father and won't let you get by with sloppy living.